0: you will find a king wearing a magnificent crown. No, Dad, that's not it. Oh, really? Let me try it again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a powerful, well-trained soldier. No, Dad, you did it again. That's not right. Okay, uh, how about this? and this will be a sign for you. You will find a democratically elected president. What? No. A trendy motivational speaker. No way. A big tech CEO. A movie star. Time traveling cyborg? No, no, none of those are right. The Shepherds will not find any of those. Okay then, little miss know it all. What did they find? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Oh, that's right, a baby. Does that even make sense? A a baby is totally helpless. Yeah, but if Jesus didn't come as a baby, Mm -hmm. then he would have known what it was like to grow up. Ah, but wait, why did he have to grow up? That's easy, to save us. Ah, well then that means that the best part about Christmas is... The baby. Right, the baby. Oh, well, I guess it's time you get some sleep. We got a big day ahead of us tomorrow. No, we're not done with the story. Okay, just a little longer. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with
1: ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you just found our channel and are looking for some Christmas encouragement, you're in the right place. We hope you'll stick around and find hope in God's Word. Uh, say hello in the comments below to let us know you were here. Now Christmas this year may go on record as the quietest one in recorded history. Uh, scientists as we know monitor this global network of seismic monitoring stations And they're usually used to track the beginning of earthquakes and tsunamis and volcanoes. But those aren't the only sources of seismic noise. It turns out that a big part of the world's noise comes from us. We make noise with our cars and trains and trucks and buses. We make noise at our markets and malls, our stadiums, and our construction sites. In March, when much of the world went into its first lockdown, Scientists recorded the seismic silence. In some cases, they said cities were up to 50% quieter. They announced that it was the longest period of human quiet in the history of modern seismology. And they're taking advantage of it. With less noise from humans, they're able to listen to other sounds from the earth that normally they might not be able to hear as well. Our move into lockdown recently has meant that Most of us will spend Christmas much more quietly than we ever have. My question is, what will you listen to in the quietness? Most years, people complain about the busyness of Christmas and how it gets in the way of focusing on Jesus. For many people, Christmas this year will be less busy than it's ever been. There are no last-minute trips to the mall. There are no people to visit. There are no places to go. It may be your first Christmas that's quiet and unbusy, and you and I will be tempted to fill the silence with our own noise. Let me encourage you to listen instead. Let God speak to you through His Word. It's His voice that we need to hear. And as you seek to do that this Christmas, I want to give you a passage to listen to and to reflect on. It's a Christmas promise given to people facing a lockdown. They didn't have to wear masks and stay in their homes, but they were locked down inside of Jerusalem and surrounded by over 180,000 Assyrian warriors. Walled in with no hope for a vaccine to save them, they turned to God and he gave them a promise. And the promise is recorded in Micah 5, verses 1 to 5. If you don't have a Bible, pause the video to grab one so you can follow along. Micah 5, 1 to 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, This is the Word of God. Now, I want to share with you three reasons to hope this Christmas when you're feeling helpless in a lockdown. The first is that your suffering has purpose and ends a new life. None of what we're experiencing right now, if you're a child of God, is without meaning or value in the plan of God. Your suffering has purpose and ends a new life. Now, Israel's lockdown is described in verse 1. A siege is laid against them. Israel's king Hezekiah had led the nation in some important reforms, but he had rebelled against Assyria and refused to pay tribute to them. Assyria has already conquered northern Israel and taken many of Judah's important towns. So the people of God are holed up inside Jerusalem's walls. Nobody comes in, nobody goes out. If you saw the size of the Assyrian army and the destruction they had left in their wake, you'd feel like you were just waiting to die. It seemed like it was only a matter of time before they'd overrun the city and put to death everyone inside it. When it says, muster your troops, it's a word of desperation. The fact is, Jerusalem didn't have nearly enough soldiers to take on the Assyrians. They were outgunned and outmanned, and everyone knew it. The verse says, with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now, hitting someone on the cheek wasn't aimed to kill them, but to humiliate them. It was an act of profound disrespect. Israel's king was being pushed around the way a schoolyard bully picks on a vulnerable target. And the people felt helpless as a result. What would you say to someone in that situation? How would you comfort them? We know from history and later scripture that God actually miraculously delivered the people. The Assyrians never breached the walls of Jerusalem. They were defeated by God's mighty intervention on behalf of his people. But Micah doesn't hold out that promise to them. God doesn't promise them the hope that things will get better. Even though this lockdown would end in their rescue. That's strange, isn't it? Like, that's what we would do, right? Just hold on until the vaccine comes. Next year has got to be better than this one. Do you know why God didn't do that? Because what was coming after the lockdown was even worse. In the previous chapter, God had prepared them for what was to come. In Micah 4.10, it says, You shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. So far, that sounds like good news to people under siege, right? But then he adds, you shall go to Babylon. The harsh reality was that while they would survive this siege from Assyria, they would face terrible destruction from Babylon. They'd be taken off into exile. Often we just live with the hope that things will always get better. Sometimes they get worse. And so God knows that we need a greater hope. And he gave it to them in verse 3. Watch what it says. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. God's going to give Israel up to his discipline. The Babylonians will come and then the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. And it'll be painful for the people of God. But those pains are labor pains. They're the pains of a woman about to give birth. And this isn't just describing Mary's pain in giving birth to Jesus. In Micah 4.9, it says, Has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor? And then in verse 10, he says, "Groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. Now that might not sound very encouraging, but it actually is. He's promising that their suffering would be like labor. They would go through some very painful things, but it had a good purpose. The maternity ward of a hospital has to be one of the few places in the world where people arrive excited, even though they know that something like excruciating pain awaits. That's because the labor ends with a baby. Knowing that their suffering has meaning helps them to endure it with hope. The Israelites were given the same promise. While the end of the lockdown wouldn't bring an end to their trials, the pain that they would experience had a good purpose. God would bring a Christmas child at the end of it. And the promise in verse 3 is that the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel. It's a promise that the coming child will bring in Israel, many in Israel, to salvation. They'll return to the people of God. They'll experience joy in a Savior. They'll be brought to life in Him. If you're a child of God, the promise of Christmas is that your suffering has purpose. God is at work in all of your trials and the difficulties that you face. He's using them to shape you in godliness and reflect His grace to a watching world. Your suffering as a believer is like labor. It ends with new life. It ends with joy. He uses the painful circumstances of our lives to show the world his strengths in our weakness. He uses our trials to undo our self-reliance and our self-absorption. There's meaning and value in every difficulty we face. If the lockdown has got you feeling helpless this Christmas, Remember that your suffering has purpose and ends in new life. By faith, trust in the good that God alone can bring. Now, there's another reason God gives us to hope in a lockdown. It's the promise that our Savior will succeed where others have failed. Now, chances are you've heard the prophecy of Micah 5 too. It's a place where he promises that a ruler will come from Bethlehem. We know this verse because it's quoted in the New Testament by the priests and the scribes when Herod asks where the Savior will be born. You've probably heard David was from Bethlehem, and he was. But if you considered how strange it is that the Messiah, the son of David, was born in Bethlehem. While well, David was born in Bethlehem, almost none of his descendants were. That's because David moved from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and that became known as the city of David. God's temple and the king's palace were established there. And so anyone in the line for the throne would be born in Jerusalem. To say that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem was to say that God was starting over. He was going to go back to the beginning. And and too many times, the people had put their hope in a new king and the king just didn't live up to their hopes. They were tired of the sons of David from Jerusalem. A son of David from Bethlehem? That would signal that God was making a new start with a new David and a better ruler. And that's important because we need to know that Jesus isn't just more of the same. We can trust him. He's not like those others who have gone before him. But Bethlehem is strange for another reason. The verse says that Bethlehem is too little to be among the clans of Judah. At the time, that Micah ministered. Bethlehem was this tiny village of only a few hundred people. Today, Bethlehem is home to more like 25,000 people, but its main in- industry is being the service of Christian tourists. So it was so small that when Joshua listed all of Judah's towns in, jo- in Joshua 15, he didn't even mention Bethlehem, it didn't even make the cut. God chose tiny Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah for the same reason that He chose David, even though he was the youngest and smallest of eight brothers. Consistently, throughout Scripture, God loves to choose people and places that are too small and too weak and too unlikely. And He does great things through them to show that it's His power and not ours, and to show that salvation doesn't rest on human power or achievement. It's entirely in His hands. If we're going to receive salvation or do anything of eternal significance with our lives, we can't come trusting in our accomplishments or our strengths or achievements. The Savior comes to Bethlehem, not to Jerusalem. He ministers where people admit their weakness and look to his strength. Now at the end of the verse, the prophecy says that the Messiah's coming forth is from old, from ancient days. It's strange to describe someone coming in the future and say that his origins are from old or from ancient days. Now, my kids sometimes say that I'm ancient, but they're not being quite so literal as this verse intends it. The idea here is that God is promising a future Savior whose arrival he's been planning from the very beginning. Jesus is God's original plan come to fulfillment. He's the one that everything in Scripture has been pointing to all along. And so Christmas is a promise that your Savior will succeed where others have failed. You can trust that Jesus isn't just more of the same. When he rules in our lives, he doesn't make mistakes. But he comes to Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. Don't think that he's on your side because you're moral enough or sincere enough or religious enough. It's only as you admit that you have nothing to offer that you've fallen short of God's standard and don't deserve his deliverance, it's then that he's pleased to come with grace and mercy. So if you're a child of God and you're feeling helpless in a lockdown, you can hope because your suffering has purpose and ends a new life and because your Savior will succeed where others have failed, but also because your shepherd will be your security and peace. While the people we look to for assurance can often fail us, Jesus is the protection and presence it sustains in whatever life might bring. Your shepherd will be your security and peace. Now this passage starts in verse 1 with a terrifying description of a siege. The king, which people look to as a symbol of strength and majesty, he was being bullied and pushed around. The warriors that they looked to for defense and protection, they were worn out. And outnumbered. But verse 4 describes one who comes in the strength and majesty of the Lord. He comes in power as the people feel powerless. He stands in confidence as the people cower in fear. And he uses that strength and confidence not to serve himself, but to shepherd the flock of God's people. Now, hearing of a shepherd reminds us of David and how he shepherded his father's sheep but it also pictured how an ideal king was to protect and provide for his people. David's most famous psalm teaches us that the Lord is our shepherd. But the promise of Christmas is that the Lord came into this world to shepherd his sheep. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you have Jesus, you have God on your side. You have someone who cares for you and defends you. You have someone who provides for you, watches over you. You may be locked down, but you're not alone. The shepherd watches over you. And he's our security. Verse 4 says, And they shall be secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Our security isn't in our bank account or our connections or our education or our talents. When we trust in those things, we invite failure and disappointment into our lives. Christmas is the promise that Jesus is our security. He's our protection. In John 10, 27 and 28, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you've made Jesus your shepherd through faith, then there isn't anything that can tear you away from him. Your eternity is secure. A job loss can't break his hold on you. A lockdown can't separate you from him. Satan's attacks are powerless. Even death can't release Jesus' grip on you. You're secure in the palm of his strong and mighty hand, and he'll hold you tight no matter what the year may bring. Finally, verse 5 gives a simple assurance, and he shall be their peace. He shall be their shalom. The word is more than just an absence of conflict. It's a promise of fullness and completion. And Christmas is the promise that we can have that in Jesus Christ. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out, uh, go in and out and find pasture. And he goes on to say, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. This is the promise of shalom peace. And it's what you and I need this Christmas more than ever. Recent research from the National Institute of Mental Health says that 38% of teenage girls and 26% of teenage boys have an anxiety disorder. Studies show that anxiety has overcome depression as the most common mental health concern. We're a society longing for peace. But so often, we want peace without the shepherd who is our peace. We want to feel a deep rest as an anchor to our souls, but we fill the silence of our lockdown with Netflix instead of Jesus. Barna Research says that almost one third of practicing Christians have disengaged with church since the pandemic began. It's not because there aren't alternatives. There are online messages, online life groups, online prayer groups. We still have our Bibles and our phones but many have looked elsewhere for their peace. We've entered into the greatest period of human quiet in recent history, and many Christians have chosen less of God rather than more. Busyness isn't the problem this year for most of us, but with the habits and traditions of our 11 o'clock church services missing, many have just chosen to give God a holiday. Let Jesus fill the silence of a quiet Christmas this year. It's only in him that our suffering becomes labor, has purpose and ends in new life. It's only in him that God's plans for us find their fulfillment. He's a savior who succeeds where others have failed. And it's only in him that we can be secure in the storm. When we trust in him as our good shepherd, he becomes our security and our peace. It's going to be quiet, a quiet Christmas for most of us this year take advantage of the opportunity to listen. As you do, let me give you some questions to consider. What have you learned about your faith in 2020? Is Jesus your shepherd? Is he the one who rules in your life because you hear his voice and you follow? Or has the past year shown you that Jesus isn't as important as you thought he he was? Sheep without a shepherd... Are open game for the wolves. Look to Jesus this Christmas. Now sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable, but so are sheep who stray from the flock. With your regular habits disrupted, what's left of how you relate to God and his people? Where's the Lord in your life when the Lord's day rolls around? How are you staying connected with the flock and supporting the other sheep? Being a lone wolf only works if you're a wolf. It's a terrible strategy for a sheep. Jesus is just what we need this Christmas. It's his voice that can give us hope in our quietness. And when we're held tight in the palm of his mighty hand, there's security and peace and rest for our souls. Lay hold of that promise. And may it strengthen you in the quietness this Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your precious promises. Thank you that you don't just give us short-term promises that it'll get better. Thank you that you give us secure promises that you'll be with us even when it gets worse. Help us to cling to you. Help us to seek more of you, not less. Help us to Lay hold of your promises and rest in them. Help us to listen in the quietness. And help us to stay near to the flock. To look for ways that we can engage with others. To take part in fellowship that we might not be vulnerable when the attacks come. Visit us, Father, in the quietness this Christmas. And give us hope in the lockdown. we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I hope today's message has given you reasons to hope if you're feeling helpless in the lockdown this Christmas. If you think this is a message that other people need to hear, then help share the link and spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. Merry Christmas and see you next time. And remember to check back on December 24th for our special Christmas Eve service. It'll be available starting at 4 p.m.